In just a moment, I'll be reading from the prophet Isaiah, the second chapter. If you have your Bibles or using a Bible in the pew, you may want to be turning there. And as I begin, before I read the scripture, let's pause for another prayer and a time of meditation and silent reflection. Would you bow? Rich blessings have already washed over us, mighty God, in this time of worship and how we thank you for this holy season. Our hearts are hungry for hope, longing for that sense of security that only you can offer. And today our eyes and our hearts turn outward as we look at a world that so desperately needs hope for war-torn regions in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria, for the millions of refugees and homeless and hungry throughout the world today, for people serving in the armed forces far away from home and in places of conflict, and for their families, for our mission partners, for our efforts uh, together in various parts of this globe, and for our own gathered and scattered congregation, people who have lost their way spiritually, people who are lonely, people who are ill, people who are grieving, would you offer your blessed hope? Teach us during this season uh, more deeply the meaning of hope so it will be more than a word, more than a concept. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite Advent things to do is to read and hear these uh, wonderful Old Testament prophets. Today I'll be reading from Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. And I invite you to stand if you're able, and I'll read aloud and you listen prayerfully. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem... In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, hopelessness and despair come in many faces and in many packages. They don't all look alike, but we can always recognize it. I want to show you a picture of my uh, grandson, Sebastian. Uh, he's, 
he's a little younger than two, and uh, we'll do a multiple choice here. Uh, A, did his girlfriend just break up with him? B, did he not like the election results? C, did he just get his county tax statement? Or D, does he need a diaper change? Now, I do acknowledge that it's shameless for me to show pictures of my grandchildren on the screen. And all I can counsel you is, go and get your own church and you can do as you please. Well, hopelessness and despair have many faces, but we all recognize that. If that's not the face of despair and hopelessness, I don't know what is. But on a serious note, uh, there there is this despair that comes. And the most dangerous stage of hopelessness is when we feel boxed in. It's when we feel there's no way out. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no, there are no options left to us. That's, that's a scary and a, an unhappy time and a dangerous time. And I think nationally, we, you know, we've been talking about it. All the media is aware of it. There is this sense of unease. There is this sense of despair. There is this, this sense of... Uh, of uh, anxiety. I was on a uh, webinar a few weeks ago. Uh, the leader was Adam Hamilton, the pastor of the mega church, Church of the Resurrection in the Kansas City area. And he was leading it and he was talking about fear and despair. And he said there are two groups of people that have a way of, of generating fear. He said politicians and preachers. And it got me thinking that we need to deal with what our job is, not just as preachers, but as people of God. Are we here on this earth to foment fear, or are we here to offer God's best hope and to let that light of hope shine through us to other people? You know, Isaiah lived in a time of despair, Uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was in decline morally, politically, economically, militarily. They were um, reaching a point where they were grasping at their own solutions rather than trusting God. Their religion and worship had just degenerated into lip service on the holy day and then disobedience in their real life day by day. And the more they tried to run life themselves, the more frightened they became. And the more frightened they became, the more they tried to run their own lives. And there was this vicious cycle going around and round and round. And Isaiah wanted them to understand that they needed to place their hope in something deeper and taller and more eternal than their own resources. He pointed over and over again to the holy God, to the God of eternity who could scoop the nations up in his hands, the God who could help when human resources failed. He pointed them to hope, hope deep in God's reality. The way I think we're supposed to be people of the good news people of the evangel, Jesus Christ, God's best hope, 
O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now, one of the things that Isaiah said that is probably the most uh, well-known and most quoted is that promise of hope for a time when people would beat their swords into plowshares, verse 4, and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, the resources, the energy, the money that we've used to destroy and kill will one day be invested in feeding and clothing and healing and helping, in giving life rather than taking life. And notice he said, neither shall they learn war anymore, implying that war is something we learn, that hatred and bigotry are not innate to us, they are learned Attitudes that prejudice and suspicion and a warring spirit are those things that are taught. But the day is coming, Isaiah said, when all of that will change. Now I want to ask you a very honest question. Was Isaiah just a little bit loopy and out of touch with reality? Did he have his head in the clouds or was he being impractical? I mean, really? Is God's mountain the highest of the mountains? Have we seen this day yet when people take all the weapons of war and turn them into agricultural tools to feed the world? Have have we seen that day come? Was he just a little bit off kilter? I'm going to answer that by making a couple of statements. Either we will be a people of hope or we will be a people of despair. We get to choose. Either we will be a people whose lives are shaped by culture around us and its despair and pessimism and hopelessness, or we will be a people whose lives are shaped by God's Word. I notice in verse 1 the word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Notice he didn't hear the word, he saw the word. It was so graphic, it was so real to him, it was a vision. He saw the word, and then down in verse 3, out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word of God shapes us into a people of hope. We, we need God's word from the outside because we're never going to get that word from culture and we should stop letting culture shape us and instead be instruments to shape culture. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison during World War II, uh, imprisoned for taking part in a plot to overthrow Hitler, he exchanged letters with his best friend and nephew by marriage, Eberhard Betke. And in Betke's last letter to Bonhoeffer, the last time they could correspond before Bonhoeffer was whisked away and then eventually executed. In his last letter to Bonhoeffer, Betka said, it appears that we seem to be living during the great pause. 
Now, they didn't have VCRs and cell phones and computers back then. They didn't think of a pause as we think of a pause, but it's an even more graphic image for us. He said, we seem to be living in the great pause, in that great moment between the times. The old is crumbling, the new has not yet come. And that's a perfect description of Advent. That it's by hope that we understand that we're living between the times, we're living in the great pause. That's why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Israel in mournful silence, longing and praying and waiting. That's us, living between the times. Krista Tippett, radio uh, interviewer and personality, uh, talked in one of her books about how the problem with immediate history is that it bewilders and distracts us. Immediate history, if you look at what's happening now, if you look at what's happened last week or last month or last year or last decade, immediate history can be bewildering and distracting. And she reminds us that we have to look at the long haul, the big picture, macro history. And that's why we have the season of Advent and that's why we have Holy Scripture and that's why we worship every week to remind us of the big picture to give us hope that God is eventually winning. I think about how that applies to our daily struggles. Think about how this Christmas hope makes a difference in the midst of your brokenness and loss. Everybody here this morning has experienced, is experiencing brokenness and loss. We're all grieving something. I, was, uh, I am friends with a, a pastor who was uh, doing very, very well. God was using him in a great way. And then he went through a very painful, very ugly divorce. From his perspective, his call to ministry was canceled out. His career was done. He actually, to compound things, lived in a region of the United States that was very conservative He couldn't get an invitation to supply the pulpit, let alone pastor. And then one day a church invited him to preach. The church had been through a lot of turmoil. They were small. They were divided. They were struggling. They called him his pastor. And when they called him his pastor, they were dismissed from the local association because they'd called a divorced man. But an amazing thing happened. That church started growing. I had the privilege of preaching about three revival meetings there. And they were growing precisely because the pastor was authentic. He was transparent about his own pain. And the people in the congregation were the same. They talked about the hope of Christ, the difference that he could make. And they started winning people to Christ and growing. And I'll never forget one day he and I were visiting about his life, and he said, Doyle, every time you get a chance, tell people that God not only forgives, God also restores. And tell people there is hope. No matter what they're going through, there's hope. So I'm telling you, because he asked me to. 
Think about how this Advent hope makes such a difference, not only with brokenness and loss, but with the existential huge issues of life, of, of suffering and death. Marva Dawn is one of my favorite authors. I ha- actually had the opportunity to meet her. She spoke at a conference in Columbia several years ago. And uh, she is a woman who has uh, written prolifically, but she suffers a great deal. She has many diseases. Uh, she has many physical disabilities. And she's reflected honestly about that. And she said in one of her writings, one of the biggest problems in dealing with the breakdown of my body is that I keep looking the wrong direction. She said, I keep looking to the past at the capabilities I once had. Instead, I should be looking to the future at what will someday I will become in the presence of God. See, she was talking about hope. A hope that's not right now, but a hope that is to come. Whenever I hear that story about her, I think of one of my mother's favorite Bible verses. She was always quoting it, and from the King James, because she was raised on that and so was I. 1 Corinthians 2.9, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of humans what God has prepared For those who love him. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the hearts of men. What God has prepared. For us. You know C.S. Lewis. Said that all of our adventures in life. We think our lives are so full. We we think we've lived so long. And seen so much. He said. All of our adventures in life are just the cover of the book and the title page. All of our lives, no matter how long we live, that's just the cover of the book and the title page. He said, when we enter into eternity, we start the first chapter. And he said, every chapter gets better. Each chapter is better than the last, and we never run out of chapters. What we are seeing, what we are living, what we are suffering with, what we are struggling with is only the cover of the book and the title page. God has the last word. God has macro history in His mighty hands. And I want to be very clear. You don't get this Christmas hope by osmosis. You don't get Christmas hope by coming and standing close to the Advent wreath hoping that some of the smoke goes into your lungs. And you don't get this Advent hope by by spouting a, a few pious phrases on Christmas cards. You get this Advent hope by personally placing your trust and your faith in God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. In recognizing your hopelessness, your brokenness, and your despair, admitting that, admitting your sin, turning from it, by faith receiving this living Christ into your life and inviting Him to be your Lord and Savior. That is Christmas hope in a hopeless world. And so in a dozen, in a hundred ways this week, this season, 
we will pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It might be for you to receive Jesus Christ into your life for the first time. It might be for you to invite the living Messiah to help you with some hopeless and despairing situation. It might be some other way that you, have, you are called to pray for the Emmanuel to come. But call on him and trust him. God's hope. Let's pray. We thank you, mighty God, for your glorious promise, for the way that you're in charge, even in the dark times. We ask you to speak clearly to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.